1: all these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to episode 270 of literary treks your dedicated star trek books and comics show here on the trek fm network 270 episodes that's pretty crazy i haven't been here for all of them but i've been here for a lot of them and with me for a lot of them as well is bruce gibson my co-host bruce how's it going today Hey, I'm doing well. The thing
0: is, you're right. You haven't been here for all of them. I have, but not as someone who's hosting the show, but I've listened to everyone (laughs) since episode one. So I've been here for every single one of them.
1: Well, I guess by that definition, so have I. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) you know, it's funny, like as a listener, even the episodes about books that I hadn't read, I still listened to. So yeah, I don't know. Do, were there were there episodes that you listened to where you hadn't read the book?
0: Um, There may have been maybe one or two, but now that you mention it, I guess I'm kind of cheating because there are some books that I hadn't read that I didn't listen to the episode. I would listen to the news, but I wouldn't listen to mm. the feature. And then I would go back and later... You know, read the book and come back and listen to that episode. But I don't know if I've done that for every single one of them. So I may not have listened to every feature, but I've okay. listened to most. So you're a dirty, dirty liar. I I said <laughs> I've listened to every episode. I didn't say I listened to the whole thing. Okay, well, fair <laughs> enough.
1: Well, today on the feature, we are going to be talking about part two of the Gold Key Archives, Volume Five. Uh, These are the old, gold-key Star Trek comics. Uh, We reviewed the first three issues in Volume 5 last week, and this week we're reviewing the last three. But before that, we do have a new comic to review, and that is The Q Conflict, issue number four. So, each of these comics seems to have kind of showcased, uh, you know... centered more on a particular crew and a particular challenge that they have to overcome. And it seems that the challenge in this edition, this issue is the profits. So Bruce, first of all, what did you think of this one? So out of the four that we've read so far, and this
0: in the series, this would be my favorite one. I really oh, like this one. Yeah. I mean, the first one, when we started, I thought oh, it's a little cheesy. Almost seems kind of like some cheesy fanfic in a way. bringing all the crews together with Q. And I, I don't know. And then as we've gone along, it's like I've come to, you know, appreciate it and just enjoy it. Enjoy it for what it was. But I love this one because I think there was a little more focus on Picard and he had a scene with Guinan and we're kind of following him a little more. And then it kind of transitions over to Cisco. But at that same time, like you said, when it involves the prophets, and Q is fighting with the prophets in a sense, or the alien wormholes. And there's even a debate. Are they, you know, prophets or are they aliens? You know, I, I was really liking it. I, I loved, I, I don't want to say I love this story, but I mean, I loved it compared to the other ones.
1: Yeah. I really enjoyed this one as well. It felt like there were a few more of those character moments. Like you said, it was really cool to see Guinan for sure. Um, and, and yeah, I like how each of the crews kind of has their own way of uh, fulfilling the requirements of this contest. Basically Q says they have to, I think, get the prophet's attention is kind of how he puts it and each of them tries a different way um Picard and the Enterprise they you know they try firing on the wormhole this low yield uh deflector dish beam kind of thing uh Cisco attempts to contact the Prophets like he you know usually does um Janeway and her crew decide to use one of the orbs to try and talk to the Prophets specifically Kira and Kirk, you know, being the brash, bold guy that he is, decides to take the Enterprise into the wormhole directly. And uh, some interesting uh, things we get out of this. Uh, I do love as soon as Kirk brings up Q, the Prophets are like, what, that guy? <laughs> They're just like, oh yeah, there's some history there. You know, the, the Prophets are just about as mad at Q as Guinan is when uh, when she encounters him for the first time on the Enterprise, so... There's something yeah. there.
0: That's what I found interesting because there's a history. We don't have to establish that Q and the prophets are just learning about each other. There's some kind of history going there. So we already have established a relationship between these two. And so there's this conflict and this battle that's going on. And it makes sense that Q is now going to pick on them in this contest and they're just over it. Like, don't don't bring Q back into this. We've, we've dealt with him before. We don't want to deal with him again. But since we do have to deal with him now, you know, we're going to go crazy nuts, explosive ways that I've never seen a prophet do before.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) And all of this kind of leads me to think, uh, basically what some of the characters suspect as well, that Q has an ulterior motive in everything that he's doing here. I don't think this contest is just what it appears to be. He seems to kind of have his own ends here. And I think it has something to do with the profits. I could be wrong, but it seems like he's got something else going on that uh, we're not sure of yet. It
0: does seem like it's leading towards that. And I think another reason why I like this is because it's getting to that moment where it's like, okay, I think we're starting to reveal what the motivation is behind Q. We're getting to that point. There's something more going on here than just, oh, I want to do a contest between these crews. The other thing I like is the crew that is assigned to Kirk because Jadzia Dax is on that crew. And along with them is Worf. And this is the Wharf from DS9 Wharf, or he has since been on DS9. And this is, you know, the Jadzia before I guess maybe Wharf joined DS9 because he makes a mm-hmm. comment that it's difficult to be around her. She doesn't seem to reflect that she had been married to
1: Wharf, where he knows he'd been married to Jadzia. Yeah, and it's actually funny because very shortly before it's brought up in the comic I kind of wondered that and you know I, th- I think it's uh it's subtle because what made me think of it is there's an earlier panel that just kind of shows both of them kind of near each other and I was like hey wait a minute what's Wharf going through with regards to this and then sure enough they bring it up later in the story so kudos to them for you know Giving us that situation and then following through with it, you know, making it realistic that there would be some mixed feelings there and what's going on with these characters. So that's really cool.
0: The other thing I like about the cruise is when it comes to Cisco, as you mentioned, he is going to try to reach out to the prophets in his way. And then with the Janeway crew, you had mentioned about uh, about Kira reaching out by through the orbs. And of course, now with Kirk's crew, you have Jadzia, who has experience with the wormhole. So, in those three crews, you have people who are experienced with the wormhole, and they all want to approach it differently.
1: Yeah, it's it's really neat to see the different approaches, and uh, yeah, like you said, they're bringing that that previous experience they have to bear. It's. Kind of neat. You know, it, it's taking it beyond just the, Oh, cool. It's neat to see these characters together and doing things with crews that they wouldn't normally do things with, but actually using those characters to their full potential and in logical ways. I think that's, that's excellent. And
0: of the crews, the first crew we see really discussing how to approach this is the crew that has uh, that Jean-Luc Picard has. And Odo is in that crew and he's kind of educating them about what the profits are versus the aliens and, and that sort of thing. And then Spock uses, of course, his logic of things that they can do. So, yeah, I mean, each DS9 crew person helps out in the
1: situations. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, yeah, I think uh, I I really liked this issue. I don't know that it's my favorite. I don't know. It's kind of one of those things where it it still feels like the middle piece, and I'm really wanting to see how it turns out before I really judge it. But I I really enjoyed this one, and it made me excited for that next part. So uh, kudos to everybody involved in this.
0: Yes, and it's not over because the last panel, there's, I won't say,
1: (laughs) but there's some other beings that are going to help out i think (laughs) there are indeed and uh if you can't tell who they are from the faces the costumes will certainly uh let you know who they are so uh really excited to see uh, i I, I like both of those characters so anyway i won't give any more away (laughs) to be continued to be continued Well, before we get to the feature, uh, we do want to pop over to the Babel conference like we do every week and take a look at some of the comments that our listeners have left on a recent episode of Literary Treks. In this case, episode number 268, Andy does the consonants, I do the vowels. That was our episode about Titan, the Red King and uh we had as a guest author Michael A Martin for that episode so yeah let's jump into the comments and it starts with Frosty Winnipeg who with regards to the cover of the novel says anyone else see Saul Goodman and you know until he had said that i had not noticed but if you look at the cover of the novel The Red King Leonard James Ackar the uh admiral looks an awful lot like Saul Goodman from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Uh, And now it's one of those things I cannot unsee it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: this is a good call. Um, Yeah, I saw it too as soon as Frosty said that. I was like, oh, look at that. And then I had to Google Saul Goodman just to see photos and compare. I was like, did they take an actual photo that I can find that they used for the template? And I didn't quite find it, but there were some that were, fairly close so i thought maybe they <laughs> did <laughs> but no this was this would have been this novel was before that this cover oh yeah yeah and, so, and, the, and the
1: picture they use is of uh the high tier Akaar from the episode friday's child who's actually leonard james Akaar's father uh, uh so i think it's just a coincidence but it's a pretty darn good likeness <laughs> like yeah. they look a lot alike and i never would have seen it if it hadn't have been pointed at out pointed out yeah
0: you know and and the uh and and tuvok on the cover looks a lot like tim russ
1: oh my goodness he does um you know the, yeah oh, i never noticed that
0: <laughs> yeah just find a picture of tim <laughs> russ you know the guy who's in star trek 6 the undiscovered country oh no i'm sorry in generations
1: Yeah. Generations. And uh, he also plays a small role in the TNG episode starship mine as uh, one of those. Yeah. So yeah. Check that out. Just imagine him with pointy ears. (laughs) (laughs) So
0: anyway, Justin Ozer says that it was a great interview with Michael A. Martin, who wrote the Red King. He also enjoyed the Waypoint special comic for 2019 says that the bone story was very interesting, although it ended so abruptly that he laughed because he couldn't believe it had already ended. And he says that the Beverly Crusher story definitely had some interesting elements. He loves seeing her working with Tasha and, uh, he thinks there are parts that were unintentionally hilarious. And he liked the, he was laughing at the Ben about, you know, commenting about the crew being gone. And then the Janeway story, he said that was great. He loved seeing the pre-Voyager mission with Tuvok, her and Tuvok together. And, uh, then also the Worf Esri story, he liked that. That was his favorite one because he loves Worf and he loves Esri. So any story dealing with them and Jadzia's de- uh, death and Worf's reaction to her death, that was his favorite. And he put some panels from the comics in here too. So there you go. Yeah,
1: awesome. Um I really liked that Waypoint special as well. And i i, I hadn't I don't think we've heard if we're getting any more, but uh, I, I certainly hope we do because. Those uh, stories are a lot of fun. So I don't I even remember hearing we were getting this one. Um, I remember when that news came out. It was a while ago, but... Uh, oh, uh, I it, didn't listen to was... that episode of Literary Tracks. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, easy to miss for sure. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, what do you say we uh, jump over to the feature and f- wrap up our exploration of the weird and wonderful Star Trek Gold Key Uh, issues in volume five of the gold key archives.
0: That sounds really groovy,
1: man. (laughs) So as I said, at the top of the show, we're talking about star Trek, the gold key archives, volume five, part two, and this, uh, concludes volume five. We've got the final three issues in that set. So, uh, let's start with issue number 28, which is called the mimicking menace. And this was published in January of 1975, written by George Cashton. So, in this issue, the Enterprise crew is visiting this planet, and uh basically they're um they're trying to figure out if this asteroid has a threat is poses a threat to the Federation, and they've scanned it from orbit and there's no signs of life, and there's the there's this big volcano, but it's cold, so they're not worried about it. And the scientist who's assigned to explore it uh, requests that they take the shuttlecraft down uh, so that she can bring some equipment with her. They take the shuttlecraft down and lo and behold, they look out the shuttlecraft window and there's an identical duplicate shuttlecraft there, uh, which they explore. And of course, because we've been told that the volcano is safe and there's no chance of it going off because it's cold, the volcano erupts and puts them... All into danger. <laughs> oh no,
0: no, that can't happen. I didn't oh, see that coming. I didn't see it coming. I'm telling you, no. Yeah, I it was
1: just you know right out of left field. I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like no. about
0: the duplicate uh, shuttlecraft is that it's it's both. Well, the original shuttlecraft and the duplicate are the f- top half is white and the bottom half is green, which we're not
1: used to seeing on the shuttlecraft. So I kind of <laughs> like that that color difference. Yeah, it was a nice little color scheme. And, and again, th- this is another thing we're going to see come up again in the Gold Key comics. Everything, you know, looks a lot more like it did in the original series, but there's just a few weird changes. Like you said, the bottom of the shuttlecraft is green. Uh, Kirk has a yellow shirt, whereas everyone else who should have a yellow shirt has a green shirt for some reason. And uh, yeah, just all those weird little differences that we get crop up with the gold key comics. So, um, what happens here, of course, is Kirk sends two lower ranked crew members to go check out the shuttlecraft Cause that's why you bring lower ranked crew members. And on aren't missions. they
0: security officers? I think that was mentioned. I, I yeah. Don't really...
1: Yeah. Security officers. So normally they're not wearing be... red. They're wearing the green. Yeah. Normally on the show, they'd be wearing red, but, uh, Whoever wrote, whoever colored this didn't get the memo for the correct department colors. (laughs) That's true. But let me ask you this real quick. I I think I've heard that really
0: on set, if you looked at the gold tunic on set, if you were there live
1: in the 60s, they actually had more of a greenish tint to them. That's right. Yeah. the, The ones they used in the first two seasons were kind of more of a lime green color, apparently, but it was like the... The cameras and the lights on set made them look yellow or something like that. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. And of course we do get Kirk wearing the green wraparound from time to time as well. So that's true. When that was really blue on set. No,
0: I'm kidding. No, it was green. (laughs) I also like and hear how they refer to the shuttlecraft as the shuttle ship.
1: I like that. Yeah, the shuttle ship Galileo. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's really cute. I want a shuttle ship Galileo. For your Christmas tree. Of course. Yeah. Um, so these, these security officers go and investigate the shuttlecraft and, you know, they start to feel dizzy and they pass out. And we realize that now they've been duplicated as well as the shuttlecraft and these duplicates, you know, talk to Kirk and, you know, tell them that, you know, they're fine. Everything's fine. But it's these weird duplicates that are doing the talking. Um, And they end up taking the shuttlecraft into the mouth of the volcano for some reason, um, which really confuses Kirk. They're in the real shuttlecraft, which has been uh, kind of buried in, not buried in lava, but pushed along by the lava coming down from the the mountains. So these shuttles are really uh, robust. I mean, to be able to withstand uh, lava from a volcano, that's pretty cool. Yeah,
0: I had no idea that the shuttlecrafts could do that. I wish they would have realized that when they did Into Darkness.
1: Yeah, oh man, that would have been... They could have gone have really right helpful. in there and saved
0: Spock. They didn't have to try to beam him. They just could have gone down there and said, Spock, get on board. We can't, you know, nothing will hurt the shuttlecraft <laughs> because, the you know, it's lava resistant.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like I said, they take this duplicate shuttle into the volcano and it's clear there's you know, something mysterious there. Um, and, you know, basically Kirk and them have to kind of investigate and figure out what's going on. And we get shenanigans with duplicate Kirk's duplicate Spock's and we get the well. No, we never even... get a duplicate Spock. Oh, and that's true. They do try to duplicate Spock, but because he's just generally awesome, they're unable to do it. He gets away in time kind of thing. And uh, I actually kind of like that because they underestimate Spock. Basically, they duplicate everyone. They're like, oh, there's just that one guy left. This will be easy. We'll go get him. But Spock, you know, he's just too good for them and is able to get away. Yeah. And how he
0: leaps into the air away from it. Like, you know, he's got his arms out like he's Superman.
1: <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways, I really wish that uh you know, sometimes the original series had been just a little bit more like the comics because I love some of the like actions and you know what they're, the they're very animated, which I find really cool. And, uh, you know, add to that, the spot that Spock's ears are like three to four inches taller than the Spock on the series. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good look for him. Yeah. Yeah. I like It must mean that he can hear better. <laughs> that must be it. I wonder if Kirk worries that his eyes going to get put out by that. (laughs) (laughs) We get to the end of part one here and Scotty and McCoy have beamed down to try and figure out what's going on and to, you know, rescue the, the landing party, but they beam down and they start getting shot at by Kirk and his crew. And Scotty says, uh, Bones, McCoy, you've got to shoot back at them. And McCoy says, me shoot at my captain. And that's the end of part one. That's the cliffhanger we're left with.
0: Ooh, what's going to happen next? I can't wait. You know, I think it's funny that the Gold Key comics, each issue has a part one, part two. Just like when we do the literary treks coverage of the comics, we have a part one episode and a part two episode.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think that's clever, you know, kind of breaking things up. I I kind of wish in between our part one and part two, though, we had really cool ads for like patches and, and, uh, you know, really fun sports equipment (laughs) and stuff. Now, of course you're not seeing these. If you're reading this in the gold key archive collection, they don't have the, uh, the advertisements, but if you read the original issues or the, uh, the DVD version where they scanned them onto that DVD a few years ago, you'll see those original ads in between part one and part two. So I, I love that stuff. I think that's really neat. There's a, you can even buy a BB gun if you want. <laughs> I, I I
0: tried and I, I, they don't offer it anymore. Oh man. <laughs> can you no. clip
1: out that little uh, order form for those patches?
0: Yeah, I should try to do that. See, I've always wanted to do that. When you see old ads like that with like an order form, it's like, what would happen if I did send it in? Like, (laughs) not that I would expect to get a patch, but, you know, would be returned to mail or is it like the company's still there but doing something different? I don't know. But the funny thing about ads in these old comics is some of them I recognize from when I started collecting mostly Superman comics in the late 70s, that some of Hmm. these ads were still being used then.
1: Yeah, and I mean... um. See, I never really, I, these ads don't seem familiar to me, but when I'm reading like the 80s uh, and 90s, like DC comics and stuff, oh yeah. man, so many of those ads and, and all of that, just I immediately flashback to uh, to seeing those in the back of, you know, Archie comics or or whatever I was reading at the time. Yeah, I'm so ready to order some sea monkeys right now. <laughs> oh man, yeah. <laughs> and those dinosaurs that grow like, you know, 5 times their size or whatever <laughs> supposedly. <laughs> we'll have to order one and see if it works. X-ray glasses, man. I was oh, man, that would be so cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, we jump now to part 2 of the Mimicking Menace. Uh so, like I said, we've got Scotty and McCoy and uh they've beamed down. But Spock is also in the shuttlecraft and comes out and lets them know that, you know, you have to shoot them. That's not the captain that they're, they've been taken over by these things or they've been duplicated That's, that's not the captain shoot them kind of thing. And Scotty of course says, I did not believe my own eyes. And the, the people that they think are their crew kind of change into these weird, uh, kind of molecular strands or something like that. I was, yeah. I have to admit I was kind of confused as to what this was supposed to be exactly. Yeah. And it's like, it's the lava that's doing all this stuff. Apparently mm-hmm.
0: I, I, I don't know. It's it. I'm not really understanding what it was trying to do, why it was doing what it was doing. It's like, it's try. it gets its energy. I think they said from duplicating things, mm-hmm. which you'd think
1: it would take energy to duplicate things. I, yeah, I don't know. I was a little confused just exactly what this was and what it was trying to accomplish. I think in the, uh, you know, course of the story, what it's trying to accomplish is make duplicates of our people and create dilemmas. <laughs> but right. as far as like what their purpose is and what they're trying to do, uh, yeah, it's really hard to tell. But, you know, they, these things kind of do revert to their normal form, I guess. And, uh, they decide what they're going to try and do is send this robot with a video camera (laughs) into the volcano to see what they can figure out. And, uh, I love this robot, man, this like purple, shiny, muscular robot that transmits video to this like 60s television set with rabbit ears on it. I love this stuff. This is so great.
0: (laughs) I know. I have to say I was a little disappointed because several panels before this, they said about taking the video camera robot and I'm picturing something, not a robot, like in humanoid form. I was picturing Mm -hmm. something like on wheels with a camera on. I was like, Oh, that's going to be pretty cool. You know, this, it wheel, you know, it, it drives itself down in, it's got like these cameras or a camera that turns around, you know, uh, that's not like on a tripod or something. And then I get, see this muscular robot man and i'm just like oh really and then yeah the tv with the
1: antennas (laughs) (laughs) and i was i was reading this a little bit too fast i kind of had to go back because i was like oh no there's a robot attacking now oh no wait that's their robot oh that's their robot (laughs) like i was not expecting that either it looks like a skinned terminator like, you know, Terminator. Yeah. Arnold up,
0: I am, I am the Terminator. And then it's like, if it just ripped its skin off, this is what it would look like underneath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I am the Terminator.
1: I have a camera. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> well, they send this, this weird Terminator robot into the uh, volcano crater and it sees this spacecraft there and, also the remains of what must be the crew of this spacecraft who have long since perished and that kind of thing. Um, what they forget though, is that these weird aliens, uh, mimicked their shuttlecraft as well. So they can clearly mimic, um, mechanical things. And sure enough, they send the duplicate robot back, which, uh, you know, they kind of, don't realize at first isn't their robot, and then well, they, they should get dizzy. Yeah, it's not they as, should. It's, it's not as muscular. It's skinny because <laughs> they can. Yeah, they can apparently duplicate humans and mechanical things, but not half human half vulcans They're That's they're right. too good to be able to duplicate some big ears. Oh, it's those big pointy ears, man. They just they never you know often imitated, never duplicated. That's right. <laughs> But yeah, they start to get dizzy and they realize, oh no, it's the, it's the, the robot, the robot's a duplicate, but, uh, you know, Spock calls down, calls up to the Enterprise and because, uh, the duplicates operate on positive ions, he gets the Enterprise to fire a stream of negative ions into the crater. And, uh, basically the Enterprise hovers over top and the ion beam dispenser is targeted as they pass over the crater and sulu fires and saves the day and uh yeah they all uh they're like oh the the things shut down it's great and then they realize oh that robot's still here and they start to get dizzy again they're like oh crap shoot the robot so just gotta have a just squeeze an extra little bit of tension out of the end of this here so, yeah, this whole thing ends with
0: Captain Kirk doing his Captain's Log supplemental. And he says, In accordance with Federation bylaws, we did not destroy the life form on Tactus 2. But even now, the life form is probably active again. It will be seeking other energy sources. Be warned. <laughs> so, the thing is, they need to put some kind of communication in orbit there, alerting others not to come down because this life force is going to duplicate. Like, I guess what I'm wondering when that ended, I was like, well, what are they going to do? I mean, they're, they're, they escaped this life form, but yeah, there's gotta be some kind of warning.
1: Yeah. And I, I also love, I, I, I kind of like the evolution of these stories a little bit that, you know, now Kirk is saying in accordance with Federation law, we didn't destroy this life form, but you know, in a much earlier issue of the gold key comics, you know, there's these plants that were growing and overtaking this planet and we've got to destroy them all. These, you know, sentient plants and they bombard them from orbit and burn them all to the ground. So they're learning, you know, (laughs) got to leave things alive, but yeah, like they should leave some kind of warning for future space travelers. You would assume. And I assume that they did. I I don't know. (laughs) Because it sounds like he's at least telling the Federation, like he's recording this in his log and and telling the Federation, you know, oh, beware of this. So maybe, uh, you know, like the, the Star Trek authors joke that there's a Starfleet Corps of Engineers ship that always just follows the Enterprise around cleaning up its messes. Maybe they're the ones dropping the beacons and, and you know, fixing things up here. <laughs> That's
0: what it is for sure. Yeah. And then that's a whole nother adventure because then they start getting duplicated because they accidentally had to go down for some reason.
1: (laughs) There you go. It's just, you know, it's not the enterprise, so it's not as exciting. We don't follow those adventures for some reason.
0: So I just wonder this being is more self-contained in and around this volcano. So you could beam down to other parts of the planet and be okay. Or the asteroid that is beam down to that other parts and you'd
1: probably be all right. I'm assuming. I assume so. This kind of does suffer from something that happens in a lot of Star Trek episodes too, is that this whole planet is kind of reduced to this one little area that, you know, where the threat is or something. And I know. Don't I hate see, that. Yeah. We don't see any else anywhere else on the planet. Like in the original series that happened all the time too, it was like the entire planet is like this village and these 10 guys. <laughs> yeah. I never liked that. That always bothered me. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure,
0: sometimes that could happen, but it just seemed like every planet it has got, you know, one ruler and one <laughs> set of people and and one location. It's like, well, what about the rest of the
1: planet? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, What did you think of this one, like, overall, like, story-wise and, and the threat and how it turned out and stuff? I mean, I thought it was okay. It wasn't, like
0: too crazy weird like i wasn't rolling my eyes necessarily Mm -hmm. um i mean it was an interesting story i mean at first i was just wondering about the duplications i was a little confused at first i was like wait wait what's going on what are those little white things with lines connecting and then it made sense as i kept going but
1: i mean yeah it was all right what'd you think Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you on that. I'm just kind of like, I wasn't, you know, really into the story. I wasn't just kind of like, oh, it's a little confusing. I'm not sure what's going on, but okay. They're getting duplicated and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that it really made sense in the end, what the, the enemy ended up being and how it worked, but, uh, yeah, it was just kind of okay. Yeah. I, I think that's, yeah, that's okay. All right. Well, uh, let's go on to the next issue, which is issue number 30. Uh, Oddly enough, because issue number 29, uh, as it was published back in the day, was actually a repeat of issue number one, which was The Planet of No Return. So, uh, you know, it was re-released again as, uh, as issue number 29 with different cover art. I got to say, if I was a completionist back in the day, I I don't know if this was a common thing that comics did all the time back then, but I would have been a little cheesed off at that. (laughs) (laughs) Went to spend my hard-earned money on a new comic, and it's just the same as, you know, number one in my collection. Was this something that you've encountered before? I've never, I
0: don't recall anything like this happening before. I'm sure it has, uh, but I'm not aware of anything in any kind of comic line. But again, I'm I'm sure back then it certainly it happened more than this time. I just wonder why it happened. I don't know if it was a conscious effort to say, Oh, we'll repeat one. Or, you know, was it a budget thing where they were like, you know, we, you know, we have to cut budget so we can't pay artists and, and writers for another issue. So we're just going to repeat an issue. Was there but some, we kind still of sh- want the income from it for that yeah. month kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Or was there a st- uh, like some kind of writer strike artist strike going on at the time, you know, or it just uh, who knows, or maybe they were just running behind and they're like, we're not going to be done in time to get, you know, issue 29 out on stands. Okay, well, we'll repeat one. That'll give you more time to get issues 30 and 31 going, you know, so I don't hmm. know. I just c- was curious, you know, I feel like something had happened. I don't think it was just a, well, we're at number 29 plot number one. We're going to do it again.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And looking at the list of issues, they do do it a few more times down the line as well, which is interesting. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So that could be, I think that's probably more likely budget reasons. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Everything would come down to money for sure. (laughs) So instead, yeah, we skip now to issue number 30, which is a new issue. And this one is called death of a star. And the first thing that jumped out at me looking at the very first page of this is the words death and star are in bright red and "ava" is in black. So if you just look at it, it looks like it says star Trek death star.
0: Oh my gosh. And I was it does. like, Ooh, crossover. I didn't even think about that.
1: I didn't even <laughs> notice that, but you're right. It does. It, yeah. Death star. Well, unfortunately, uh, It is not a crossover with star Wars, not least of which is because this was published in may of 1975, which is still two years before star Wars hits theaters. Uh, and it was written by Alan monies, monies, monies. I'm not sure.
0: (laughs) Money, money, monies. Monies.
1: I like it. That's how (laughs) I'm saying it from now on. (laughs) But yeah, so in this issue, um, they're you know investigating the final death throes of a star called isis uh and it's going to go supernova and and blow up and you know all the cool stuff that a star does but as they're settling in to observe it do its thing uh sulu detects life forms on one of the planets orbiting the star isis 3 so they're you know kind of in panic mode and Oh my goodness! we need to check out these life forms and and you know they're all gonna die if we don't uh if we don't do something and and go make sure that you know nothing's gonna happen to them okay, yeah, so I'm just gonna say this now
0: there starts to be this repeating theme between different issues, and I'll point it out even more so when we get to thirty one but these comics seem to really focus on the exploring strange new worlds and new civilizations they really hone in on doing just that and all these issues it seems to always be the enterprise approaches a planet an asteroid whatever half the crew beams down and it's something weird going on and then the other half's on the ship and they've got to come down later and help them out and it's always about strange new worlds and
1: civilizations yeah and i kind of You know, it's, it's like they've taken that opening, uh, monologue by Kirk to really to heart, which is kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, there, there doesn't seem to be a lot of, you know, space adventures so much as, you know, oh, here's this planet. We've got to check it out. We've got to, uh, meet this group of people and they're going to threaten us somehow. And we're going to get away and figure out the problem kind of thing. That definitely does seem to be the recurring pattern. Um, in this case, ISIS-3, they do go and investigate and scan the planet. And all of the lifeform readings are coming from one spot on the planet. So it's it's like they're detecting a whole bunch of lifeforms, but they're all emanating from a single spot. Uh, so they're either, according to Kirk, midgets or angels, possibly dancing on the head of a pin, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, they're all in this tiny little area. And another thing I notice on this page is we have the return of a crew member from a few issues ago. Lieutenant Uhuru is back. Oh, no, not again. <laughs> the the rotating Uhurus slash Uhuras. It, yeah, it's confusing, but it looks like this issue we have Lieutenant Uhuru uh, once again. So.
0: I wonder why yeah. that mistake happens a lot cuz you mentioned in the last episode that was also true of what Star Trek 6 in the credits the closing credits yeah Star Trek 6 so it's like I wonder I'm sure I've seen it elsewhere in like novels or it's this isn't the first time it's not mm-hmm. just a gold key
1: thing no for sure and i mean uhuru is is a name in um you know that exists in the world so right. it it might just be confusion I don't know. It, it's frustrating that it happens so much, though. So you but, know, but it's yeah. But is, I think you, or
0: I can't even say it, Yehoru, is more common in th- our world so. than Yehora.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Still, it's I don't know. It's frustrating because I really like the character. <laughs> like yeah. darn it, get her name right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they do beam down with uh, it's it's Kirk Spock. Uh, Uhuru and Lieutenant Chapel all beam down and they're not down there very long before, uh, they start getting zapped by lightning and, you know, the, the plants kind of start to rearrange themselves to create paths and block them off from other areas. So they really start to feel like they're getting herded in a particular direction. And I just want to highlight this one shot we get of um, the four of them getting attacked by these, this lightning. And <laughs> I'm loving the sound effects. We have pizzazz, fuzang, and Pazawi. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's I, I very like much pizazz. like That's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> pizzazz. It's very uh,
0: Batman-like from the 60s series. Mm-hmm. But that was based on comics
1: like this. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, we don't talk a ton about the artwork in these because, you know, they're, they're very similar, uh, from issue to issue. It's kind of, you say the gold key, uh, look, people kind of all know what you're talking about, but, you know, I actually kind of want to highlight like some of the artwork in this is really, really good with uh, the figures and, and how they move and the all that kind of stuff. And this shot of the four of them all getting zapped with lightning, you know, I like how each of them are in a different pose and, you know, Uhura's kind of falling forward and Spock's kind of twisting around and Kirk's throwing his arm over his face. Like there's some really great artwork in these that I, you know, I don't think we, we give it enough praise for that i almost want to take that panel and remove all the
0: lightning and the pizzazz and all that stuff out of there and just put them in a disco room. And it would almost look like they're dancing.
1: Yeah. It's just a star Trek dance party. Like Kirk's practically dabbing. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's what I was just thinking. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I love it. So yeah, this, the lightning and the plants and stuff, they're kind of hurting them in this one direction and they, they find what looks like kind of a big, temple and indeed spock says it appears to be a religious temple and uh you know it kind of looks like a a temple to the sun is what they're talking about and you know i think we can kind of guess where this is going because the star coincidentally or not i don't know is named isis and this planet is called isis 3 i mean i think we kind of know where this is going right yes almighty isis yes for sure.
0: And the other thing about this, and this is where I'm getting to the repetitiveness or the same type of theme that's going on, because we talked about a couple issues ago in our last episode when they went to more of like an ancient Japanese planet and Mm -hmm. Spock goes through the jungles or the woods or whatever and finds this construction this building in the middle of nowhere this is like the same thing they go through the jungles and there's this
1: building in the middle of nowhere it's like the same type of thing there's yeah there's a lot of these themes and 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 things that keep coming up and um i feel like they almost kind of come in chunks because i remember when we were talking about previous issues in in different episodes there'd be like You know, there's a ruler who wants to take over the entire world or something like that. Like there was just a bunch of issues that all kind of dealt with that. And, you know, there seems to be just these repetitions that come up and maybe there's just different phases that these stories go through that the writers start to feel is a good idea and they kind of almost kind of mine it to death and then move on to something else. I don't know. It's, it's. Definitely feels that way though, for sure. But I
0: also feel that over time they're trying to take this a little more seriously. They're trying Mm -hmm. to make it more Star Trek and, and, and I don't think there's any kind of lesson to be learned from these, but there's more of a looking at a society and how it runs differently and how things are, it is the strange new world thing again. You know, it's like, it's really about, you know, It's similar to our society, but yet different.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely skews more towards the like, let's have an adventure and overcome a threat rather than, you know, morality tale or something like that. Um, I like what you said about it taking itself more seriously. Like we don't get the, you know, galloping galaxies and stuff that we got in the earlier issues. Um, You know, at, at times, some of the language is a little bit goofy, but not at those same levels that it was in the first few issues. So yeah, they're, they're really kind of settling into this more, um, taking itself seriously. Like you said, there's, there's little hints of it that come out. Like I, I, I liken this one where, uh, Isis says, I am the warmth. I am the light. I am the giver. I am the protector. I am Isis, the God of the sun. And, uh, Kirk thinks to himself, you're also a warp four loony. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I love that line. I kind of like that. I I want that to be like a a thing that people call people in Star Trek. Like why warp four? Like that's a very specific speed. You're a warp four loony. And like, if you go up, if you're a warp five loony, are you loonier or less loony? Like which way does it go?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of why warp four. Uh, i don't know maybe it's from the old days maybe it's from the days of archer where he would say hey Mm. look the fastest ship is a warp five and if you're a warp five loony you're over the you you know basically a warp four loony is you're so loony that you're almost over the top
1: (laughs) i like it (laughs) so um yeah basically they they decide that uh, they're going to leave the temple, but they're going to leave chapel behind with Isis for some reason. Bad mistake. Um, Bad mistake. Yeah, I don't quite get why. He doesn't really give a reason. He just says, we're going to take a look around. Nurse, you stay here. Um, okay. So, you know, they go to kind of escape the area. But like I said, the plants, they're, you know, reforming themselves and you know, keeping them from leaving. They say, okay, well back inside and they go back inside and chapel is passed out. And Uhura says, it looks like sunstroke, which kind of seemed odd to me. She's inside, but okay. Um, but they soon realize that they're trapped in there and that's the end of part one of this story. So when she said sunstroke, which I thought was a
0: little odd, I thought that meant that ISIS did something because she is the sun.
1: I kind of thought that too. Maybe. Um, it just seemed odd that like, I don't know, Uhuru, that would be her first, uh, sorry, Uhuru, that would be her first, uh, um, what she goes to. But I guess, yeah, she's looking at her symptoms and saying, oh, it looks like she has sunstroke. So yeah, I I guess, yeah. Yeah, but it's never really played on
0: afterwards. She's fine then when we get to part two, like nothing yeah, happened.
1: And that drove me nuts. When we come back from the break- you know, for the ads, we come to part two and, uh, basically Kirk's like, are you feeling better nurse? And she says, Oh yes, thank you. I don't know what came over me. I just fainted. And that's it. Like it was purely to give you like a, Oh my gosh moment. So you turn to the very next page to see what happens. (laughs) like They've got to have a cliffhanger of some kind. So, and, and by the way, it's not chapel, it's
0: Chappelle. We have oh, Yoryu and Chappelle. <laughs>
1: I'm just kidding. Oh. Is she, is she on the in Living Color? Like <laughs> Chappelle and we
0: have Spook. Spook. Okay. And we I have
1: like uh Kark. I don't kark. know. Kark. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, awesome. So yeah, we, we also do get a glimpse of, you know, happenings on the enterprise and, you know, they're, they're trying to reach the captain and they, they can't, they don't know what's wrong, but they can't get in touch with the captain. But, um, back on the planet, they're, you know, trying to uh, figure out a way out of the the temple, out of this area and, uh, basically trying to help ISIS and, and figure out what's going on here. And, you know, they they obviously still don't really believe that she's ISIS, but you know we kind of get a bit of backstory because they access this uh, history these history tapes. Spock calls them history tapes, but they're apparently telepathic because we see uh, what's hap- What happened to this civilization? Kirk kind of sees it in his head. Um, they transmit the information to him, so they learn I like all the that. backstory. I did think that was really cool. I like the idea of like a memory archive like that. Yeah. And I like how the artist shows that
0: with like this little glow happening on their foreheads. And then you see the next panel where it's showing the image kind of coming out of that glow. I mean, that's not, that's not what physically is happening, but it's showing you that there's, you know, that glow. It's like, you know, something's being transmitted into their forehead and in through that they're seeing these visions.
1: Yeah, so through these visions they get like the history of of this race of people um and kind of see Isis's history and and all that kind of stuff. And it kind of they're talking to Isis and figuring out what's going on and it's basically what it comes down to is she is the star that's going supernova, is that right? Because I was yeah. a little bit confused towards at the end, towards the end here, but I don't know. Yeah, what did I you think, think of that. The, I think
0: this old woman is the sun. So the sun is going supernova, and the sun is dying. And somehow the sun has projected her down there to relate to them and to talk to them. Because um, they had mentioned later like, you know, can a sun, you know, sentient being? Can it just? Is it alive? Mm-hmm. And so it's almost as if like, it was projecting into this temple its consciousness, its soul to talk to them, but it's really the sun dying, not the old woman.
1: And just as the sun's kind of dying, it ends up saving the crew and, and sending them back to the Enterprise But the Enterprise is kind of too close as the sun explodes, but they get saved because they get put into some sort of space pocket, as Scotty says. And it seems that Isis saves them and and keeps them from being destroyed. And I really like, like you mentioned, how they bring up at the end that like, does this mean that like all stars are sentient beings out there? And I have to say, I really like that note that, this ends on here where they talk about that because it's kind of a neat little thought provoking thing. You know, when you, uh, when you look up at our sun now, like, Ooh, is that a being now that, you know, is watching over us kind of thing. I mm-hmm. think that's really cool. Yeah. And cause it's
0: giving us life, you know, is mm-hmm. it creating life? Is it doing that on purpose? Is it, you know, it has thoughts and, and, and just like it's creating this old woman on the planet. I mean, yeah, it just gives you some things to, think about like that.
1: Mm -hmm. It makes you think. So this is a good one. Yeah. I, I actually really ended up liking this story with, you know, a little bit of confusion as to what's going on while I was reading it. But you know, by the end I'm like kind of giving that, huh? You know, that's cool. What a neat idea. Yeah. And just to point out,
0: if you look back on, uh, it's like the third to the last page, this is the part where I was a little confused because they somehow the crew that's down the planet just appears on the ship and they don't know how that happened. So I don't even know. Somehow mm-hmm. the sun has some power to transport them from one place to another and just puts them back on the ship. So it's got some sort of powers, but also you'll notice, and I'm guessing it's Scott, that's Scotty there. He says, Captain Kirk, Spock, you Oh, so earlier, I?
1: she's Yohoru, and then she's Yohora. <laughs> hmm. So maybe he's expressing disbelief she's changed into a completely different person, as well as having appeared back on the ship. Or maybe he's like, I can't tell the difference between you and
0: Yohora and Yohoru. You, you twins are running around here. I don't understand. Or <laughs> we didn't have a first name for Yohora back then. So oh. maybe her first name
1: was Yohoru. That could be Yuhuru Yuhura. <laughs> <laughs> that must be it. I that guess. must be it. Yeah. <laughs> I mm-hmm. like it. Yeah. So I think overall, I, I actually really enjoyed this one. I thought this was kind of a neat, uh, neat experience and it made me think more than the gold key comics usually do.
0: Yeah, I agree. No, I like this one and we learned about the civilization on the planet and about the sun. It's very mystical if anything, I'm really starting to pick up on the fact that these, these stories are starting to feel like they could work as like an Indiana Jones type of adventure, in a sense, where you have like an archaeologist or a team of people on Earth that go to some, you know, obscure continent or island on Earth. And they're running into all these different types of civilizations, you know, mm-hmm. because they don't
1: feel in some ways so alien. It's more mystic because a lot of them are humanoid yeah that's true i I think, like in the last issue, we talked about some comparisons to Gulliver's travels and like right yeah i can I can definitely see that and the fact that we're seeing things that look like earth type temples, like you know whether from you
0: know Egypt or from Japan or just different parts of earth that we're seeing in these to me, these adventures feel like adventures that could be p- taking place in some strange continent that you know no one's ever been to that's been hidden in the oceans and and these explorers go and they're visiting different parts of it and running to all these different weird things that are going on you almost could call it lost <laughs> hmm. <laughs> you know i mean lost the show lost wasn't quite like that but the idea of that island being hidden it kind of reminds me of, like those type of adventures And i think there was a lot of comics back then that had that kind of theme to it and this is just kind of picking up on that
1: no yeah, that's a good thought yeah it makes a lot of sense um you know, cause in the last, uh, in the last episode we did, it would seem weird in Star Trek to come across a society that's, you know, just modeled on ancient Japan or something like that. But in the gold key world, it doesn't seem that strange, you know? So, uh, you know, that said how many times we ran into, um, cultures on planets modeled after <laughs> Earth cultures in the original series. Of course that happened all the time, but it, you know, it just, yeah, it feels like more of a product of that kind of storytelling. Um, yeah. There's a lot more of like jungles and environments
0: that they have to go mm-hmm. through. Well, you know, like we just talked about volcanoes in the previous issue. This one, we have a jungle, you know, with like some kind of pyramid structure in the middle of it. Yeah. And now yeah. we're getting ready to go to the next issue where, you know, we'll, we'll let you know what's in there,
1: but it's a similar type <laughs> of theme. Definitely. Well, speaking of the next issue, this is issue number 31, The Final Truth from July of 1975, written by John David Warner. So this one basically has, uh, they're, they're going to be admitting this new planet into the Federation, and Spock has taken the Enterprise there uh, because Kirk is following a little behind in a shuttlecraft because they're transporting an admiral. And the Admiral is Khan. Not that Khan, though. Different <laughs> Khan. Yeah, this is like a <laughs> monkey-looking Khan. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they do give his full name at some point, don't they? I can't remember. But uh, I don't remember. Because Spock says he has been regrettably detained escorting Starfleet Admiral Talon Khan from Starbase in the shuttlecraft. So uh, that's why they're separated so Spock and, and crew are on this one planet, which is, uh, called Quodar and, um, Kirk and the shuttlecraft, which is being piloted by Chekhov, uh, they get hit by a freak cosmic storm and they end up crashing on this other planet, uh, into this kind of luckily like soft kind of mossy surface. So they don't, uh, they don't get damaged too hard. But, uh, it turns out that this planet is, uh, kind of under a totalitarian regime of scientists, I guess, that, that capture people or something like that. The, the, the planet that Spock is on, they have a history with these guys. And basically anybody who goes there is, you know, placed under, uh, uh, arrest or they're detained by this group and, and, you know, for nefarious purposes. So... Not good
0: No, And what I like it about this in the way uh, the characters are introduced is this admiral is not what you typically think of when you think of an admiral in the Federation (laughs) or Starfleet. I'm not even sure if he's part of Starfleet because they do mention that he never like went through the ranks of Starfleet. Like he came in in a different manner. So I think of him more as like some kind of Federation,
1: almost like an ambassador, but he's an admiral. And mm-hmm. and so he, which is weird, because yeah, Spock says Starfleet Admiral Talon Khan, but he definitely is like he's he's wearing this weird purple number that seems to incorporate some kind of speedo.
0: <laughs> yeah, so he doesn't really. Yeah, he's not in a uniform. He doesn't see of uh, like a Starfleet uniform. He doesn't really. We've never seen this type of species before. Not to say that you know they aren't members of the Federation, but even Kirk says you're an administrative admiral. And you have little experience in the field because this guy doesn't know what to do. Oh, we should do We should just go this way. We should attack him. We should do whatever, you know. And they're like, no, I'm the one with field experience. So you got to think, you know, well, how did he get into this position, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, uh, yeah, I mean, he might be a Starfleet admiral, but not in the sense that we think of Starfleet admirals. And then even on this planet, there's this man that they're dealing with that looks like Lex Luthor from Superman. (laughs) Going back to my Superman roots here of comics.
1: Oh, yeah. And yeah, so this guy is kind of giving the history of uh, the people of this other planet. And they're called the Tristians. And uh, they used to have a peaceful society and they traded with them and all that sort of stuff. And the Tristians are basically in pursuit of the goal of learning the secret of life itself. Um, but one day they're, you know, this graduate scholars from the uh, the planet that Spock is on, they get returned and, you know, all ties are cut off and no one is allowed to visit this, the Tristian's planet anymore. And yeah, like I said, anybody that goes there is kind of captured and, and taken prisoner. So, and that's where Kirk and them find themselves uh, imprisoned. And they're put into, you know, this laboratory specimen observation theater and observed by the Tristians. They end up with these weird uh, collars around their neck because they're prisoners and the admiral tries to escape and it doesn't end well for him. He kind of, uh, you know, he can really jump, but uh, the decision (laughs) is not his to make, as the guy says, and he falls back on his butt. Just like a lot of admirals, they're doing the wrong thing. Yeah, it's it's really the gold key version of the Badmiral, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. So what are you thinking so far at, at this point in the story?
0: I was actually very intrigued by this. I like the whole idea that there was these two planets that got along real well, and one sends scholars to the other one, and then they're sent back. And there's this rift, and the plant that sent the scholars have no idea what the what the issue is. And so I mm-hmm. was very curious to know what's going on. What, why, why would they turn on them? And you know, if they, if these people visit, was it uh try, whatever it was. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I just, I just thought it was a, a little interesting.
1: What'd you think? I'm, I'm kind of into it as well. I'm liking how many different elements are being introduced. It feels a little bit more, uh complicated than the typical gold key story you've got like i said the the admiral you've got these two planets you've got um basically talking about international relations between the two of them which is kind of cool it's not something that's explored a lot and something that i thought was funny on the planet quodar they have this ruler that we don't see uh and the the ruler is called Arama and we only ever see like this Lex Luthor looking guy who's kind of the second in command and Bones makes this uh comment uh because you know they're the the leader's deciding to leave the others stranded they're not going to authorize a rescue mission of some kind Bones says it wouldn't surprise me if Arama turned out to be a Vulcan and at the very end of part 1 spock is you know trying to break into the leader's chamber to be able to talk to the leader and opens the door and says you it can't be but it is we never suspected and that's the end of part one and in part two that was a good cliffhanger because i was like oh i want to know <laughs> yeah what didn't they suspect i thought is it harry mudd yeah, like, I, I, th- I was expecting an individual as well. Like, who, do, who is this? What's going on? I was trying to think of, like, are there standout characters in previous gold key issues that, you know, they're going to bring back or something like it's that? It's y- a who are you. It's a who are you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but uh, we learned that uh, McCoy was actually pretty prescient in part one because it turns out the leader of Quodar is a Vulcan. Interestingly
0: enough. Because isn't Quodar, I can't remember, they said at the beginning, it is a Federation member planet, or at least it's been in, uh, uh, they've been in contact with the Federation quite a bit.
1: Yeah, they're there. They're actually there on this mission to admit them into the Federation. Okay, so. yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so yeah. it
0: made sense that there could be somebody there that's a member of the Federation because this planet has been known.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that... You know, I I don't know why the leader has kept herself hidden. I think it's just so that it's a surprise that she's a Vulcan. They don't really explain that afterwards, but uh, it is interesting. It's um kind of neat to see another Vulcan. I don't we don't see a lot of that in the Gold Key issues either. We don't see Spock's people come up very much. So it's kind of neat to explore that a little bit. Yeah, it was it was a pleasant surprise.
0: I I like seeing that we had another Vulcan in here. That was trying to lead this planet.
1: Mm. So back on uh, the world that Kirk, the, the Tristian's world, Kirk and uh, the Admiral and Chekhov and chapel are all prisoners. And it's kind of, there, there's tension building between Kirk and the Admiral. Um, you know, the Admiral's frustrated that they're getting little results and, you know, Kirk is apologizing for the situation, but you know, they're all in it together. They need to try and figure this out, but it's clear the Admiral's pretty ticked about everything that's going on. Yeah. This Admiral's
0: kind of piece of work, but yeah,
1: (laughs) the gold (laughs) key Admiral,
0: like you said, that's exactly what it is because everything Kirk wants to do no, we're just going to go this way. No, I'm going to go look, I'm going to try this, you know? It gets mm-hmm. old
1: after a while, but
0: I feel like that way about a lot
1: of admirals. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. They're kind of, that's one thing they're getting right about Star Trek here is, uh, you know, the, the tensions between Kirk and the admirals for sure. And the Commodores and all those people that we see in the original series, but this Admiral's going to kind of, uh, you know, get his um, kind of come face to face with something that's going to really alter his perspective of, of everything, because there's this, you know, vault that is holding something and, you know, the Admiral ends up kind of looking into it. And basically, as far as I can figure out, understands the purpose of the universe or something like that. Yeah. What is
0: this room? I was a little confused by this. Actually, these last few pages, I started to get confused about. Hey, look, there's a coupon for sea monkeys. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like he falls into this room and he's like swirling around the universe and he's like, ah, and then he's like, I'm, I am the universe. I'm alone. Somebody help me. <laughs> and then something about you know no like there's this voice you know this is tonar's doing no let us hope that what he saw didn't permanently damage his brain if tonar only realized that in small doses the eye could expand the mind of any thinking creature by the way at this point i was like the eye is this the eye from the last issue the sun I seriously was like, "Oh, this would be a great tie-in." I love where this is going, but I don't think it is. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I was really kind of confused. And then the next panel, we have that scientist guy or whatever saying that they created the eye—a shape your mind conjures for identification, since the mass of energy has no form from the unstable forces contained in our planet. Mental energy is the required tool. Uh. I don't what?
1: know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, okay. So it's not just me then, because we were getting to this story and I, I had no idea what was going on. I feel like you almost need the aid of pharmaceuticals to try and figure out what's going on here. Cause yeah. Yeah. It's mental energy. There's something
0: in the planet, I guess uh cuz he says unstable forces contained in our planet that's giving this mental energy uh and he says that the eye the eye which they said they've created they've created the eye that has increased their energies a hundredfold so and then it says because they've increased the energies it's able to reach to the furthest places of the galaxy that one could travel. So I guess it's some, some kind of energy in the planet that they're able to tap into and, and give more energy to it that they can see further out into the galaxy and explore just mentally without leaving and traveling. Mm -hmm. Is that right?
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Maybe um, at, at the end of all of this, it seems that, you know, Basically, in this captain's personal log, Admiral Kahn admits his mind uh, has pushed into his subconscious most of what he saw when he stumbled into the eye, but I observe he is indeed a changed person. And Kirk then laments that, you know, the universe is frustratingly unchanged in view of what could be humanity's greatest discovery. Uh, He doesn't know what was seen in that eye, but he envies him for having seen it. Well, I read this comic and I don't know what he saw in the eye either. <laughs> like, I don't, it, it, I, I'm, yeah, I don't know. I feel like the author is really trying to tell us something, but I just don't know what it is. I don't know. I mean, I'm liking this concept though.
0: I. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's really intriguing to me. This idea that, as I was just saying, it's like, you know, this eye, something that they created, they can explore places of the galaxy, have more wisdom, gather information from the galaxy without traveling. And it's like this mental images that come to them through this energy of the eye where they're able to explore things they've never seen before. And I guess that's why they have the rift with the people of Quodar because maybe they're protecting this and they didn't want, anybody from that planet to discover what they had found.
1: Okay. <laughs> Cause yeah, there's one point I, this I guy says,
0: don't you see, he says to Kirk, don't you see we were a civilization at its very pinnacle. We would have nothing more to live for. If the secrets of the eye were revealed, our knowledge would have killed us.
1: Hmm.
0: So what does that mean? The knowledge would have killed that. Like the secrets, if the secrets of the eye were revealed,
1: their knowledge would have killed them. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, certain things that are now legal in Canada would have helped understand this one a little <laughs> bit better. Yeah, I mean, really,
0: it's like guys <laughs> sit down here and really just like read through this. Like, it, it takes some time to kind of figure this out. Mm-hmm. You know, when we still haven't figured it out, and everybody's listening, going like what are these guys doing? Like they can't seem to figure out what's going on. Yeah, we can, not but I'm very intrigued to figure it out because
1: it interests me. Well, dear listeners, let us know in the Babel conference (laughs) on the post for this episode, what the heck is this story about? Because, uh, maybe one of you guys can explain it to me because I am not, uh, I'm my, my mind isn't expanded enough at the moment to be able to, uh, figure it out exactly but i I like where you're going bruce i think you're kind of on the right track here you're you're getting it a lot better than i was i think i don't know i'm still reading it you know just you know
0: even kirk's like talking to this guy and he's like you know you're short sighted vain enough that you believe the universe is that finite or is your real motive that your fear the idea that your race's entire lifestyle will be totally changed. Like, I don't know. I'm still less forget. It. I'm not going to try to figure it out anymore. I got to go to bed. <laughs> I'll do it in the morning
1: when I wake up, when I'm fresh. Awesome. Well, what do you, uh, what do you think overall of maybe the three issues in this one, which was your favorite? And, uh, overall, I guess now that we're at the end of the entire volume five, what did you think of this collection of six stories in the gold key comics? They're
0: not quite as silly and pulpy. Like as time goes on, I th- as we said earlier, I feel like they're getting a little more serious. They're they're finding their footing. They have their own style, as I mentioned, very much you you know you would use the word adventures. Yeah, if they feel like Star Trek adventures, but to me it's almost like you know something that you would write about on Earth if something was the archaeology type stories or something like Indiana Jones on a supernatural scale. Um, but of the three of these, I don't know. I mean, I would say the second or the third one. I, I like best. I almost want to say this last one. I like best because of the things we we're talking about, like the Vulcan and the two planets and the Admiral and the, there just seem to be a lot going on. It's just, I'm again, and and because I'm intrigued of like trying to figure out what they're trying to say at the end, I like the concept. I just want to really understand what it is, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? So I think that's kind of, since it's got my mind reeling, I'd say this last one was my favorite, but the second one is a close uh, second to it.
1: Okay. I'm kind of uh, on the same page as you. I I did really like this third one uh, up until the end where it it kind of lost me. And I don't know if that's because the story is kind of beyond me a bit, or if, I don't I don't know, it just kind of became incoherent at the end or what. Um, but I do like a lot of the elements that were kind of put together in this story. Uh, that said, I think overall, I prefer the second story just slightly because of that ending. So maybe the main body of the story wasn't quite as good as the main body of the third story, but that ending really tied everything together and made me really appreciate it in a way that the third one didn't. So, uh, And then that first one was just kind of okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing I liked when I first started reading Star Trek books and comics and and mostly like the Bantam novels. I remember there's some of those and I mean, I think a lot of them aren't all that well or they don't get the characters quite right. It's like there's this time frame in fiction writing for Star Trek where authors didn't quite get Star Trek or they, you know, maybe they didn't know the characters that well, or they didn't know the terminology and the type of storytelling and stuff. And so they would write like a science fiction story, but they just put Star Trek characters into it without really understanding, which is a little disappointing when you're a Star Trek fan, but like those Bantam novels and the gold keys, they have that similar thing to me where, They don't quite get Star Trek, but I like seeing their interpretation of what they think it is to the point that even in the Bantam novels, there were some of those that I read that I was just like, what? I'm confused, like this ending part. And I would spend so much time trying to figure out what it is because it was very strange, you know, there was just a lot of strange elements to it that I had to stop and like reread, go back and try to figure out what is this object they're talking about or what's this creature doing to their minds. And and I just I, I like that idea of just trying to figure it out, you know. Because it's, mm. I like the idea of things being really off and weird. That it's, takes me time to really figure it out. Because to me, that's what it's like. If you were going to go out into space, it's not going to seem as natural as what we're used to on this planet. It's going to take some time to look at something and go that is so different because it's so off my world
1: that it's hard for me to comprehend. That's an interesting thought. I kind of like that. Um, to me, I, I feel like and and. Brandon Che Matala would probably not like me to say this, but you know, the gold key comics and stories like that, it, it feels like if every episode were like the alternative factor in the original series where, you know, it's this kind of high minded science fiction concept that just kind of almost feels like it's grafted onto the Star Trek series and, and uses those characters. But talks about things in a way that maybe more of like a 1940s science fiction uh serial would where it's you know just like these really weird out there concepts I, i don't know if i'm making sense here but you know that's just that same feeling that i get sometimes from these stories i get from an episode like the alternative factor
0: yeah. Well, and I, this isn't a criticism of the more current novels, but I do feel most Star Trek novels and comics deal less with the weird and the supernatural mm-hmm. and more with more political commentary in a sense, you know, or intrigue between cultures that we're familiar with, like, oh, this is now what's going on with the Romulans and the Romulans are are dealing with something that has some relation to the Klingons and, you know, how do we fit on, you know, as the Federation fit in with that and help the situation in the galaxy and even the you know, like Deep Space Nine, for example, you know, you're dealing with the Bajorans and the Cardassians and yes, you have the wormhole and, you know, so that's a little supernatural and so, but not things that are just so like very weird and like can not even comprehend what that thing might even look like or that being looks like because they're not humanoid
1: you Mm -hmm. know
0: it's like i like some of that occasionally yeah
1: yeah the the kind of I, i i get that because yeah we haven't seen very much of anything to do with the klingons or the romulans in any of these gold key comics and it has all been strange new worlds and weird cosmic happenings and that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm digging it. And I think I would, I'd be, I'd be sad if these all dealt with the kind of same things that we see on the television show and in current novels and stuff all the time. So, you know, for that alone, I'm, I'm digging, going back and and reading these again, years later. Yeah. I almost feel like with star Trek,
0: even with discovery and I love discovery, but we, we revisit things, you know, it's a lot of the familiar you know mm-hmm. and i'm really I you know with especially with today's technology you could really do something in star trek on screen that is really off the charts weird while keeping your characters real keeping it grounded within the ship the enterprise and your crew or whatever but really having them visit someplace that you're just like wow my mind is blown and you're actually picking up scientific you know essays and and such to read because you're trying to figure out what that really is. Cause there's a theory out there like that. That gets me going <laughs> more so than, Oh, we're fighting the Klingons again,
1: <laughs> again with the Klingons. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, that was, yeah, I, I enjoy the gold keys. I mean, if that was all Star Trek was, I probably wouldn't be a Star Trek fan because those are just a little different. Uh, I think they're for the most part written for kids, while trying to bring the Star Trek element to it. So I applaud the effort for sure. But, um, yeah, it's, it's not quite my thing.
1: Yeah. I like what you said about if this is all Star Trek was, it feels like it would just be yet another in that line of, you know, thrilling adventures in space type stuff. And, uh, I like that Star Trek has grown past this and become something else, but, but, it's also an interesting alternate look at the Star Trek that might have been, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And I mean, actually, if you took some of these concepts and put them on screen,
0: it might be kind of fun. I mean, I might really like it. The it, The medium of the comic book for Star Trek to me is very limiting. Um, you know, in a novel, you really go deeper into the character's thoughts and motivations and you spend more time on it. So it really builds on it. And, you know, the TV series, you know, they kind of build on the characters and the stories, I feel like play out a little better. The comic, a lot of times I feel the comics are a little rushed. So sometimes you read a comic and you feel like something's missing or we didn't really get a lot of detail on that. And that's something I always miss with the comics when it comes to Star Trek.
1: Definitely. Well, it's been a lot of fun talking about weird space monsters and crazy world leaders and something called the eye today that I still don't get, but it's not the only thing we've been discussing on the network. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, literary treks. I I really like that concept of Titan being an extremely diverse ship because, yeah, like, like you say, you know, we see... Mostly either humans or aliens who look like humans or have, you know, forehead appliances and that sort of thing. So to really get to stretch that and show us something new and different, I think, is really cool.
0: Standard Orbit.
1: Pike, he was like a pseudo father figure to Kirk in the Kelvin timeline, which might have been a little on the nose because he's like he, the previous captain is the father figure of the new captain. But I understood why they did it. You know, for story efficiency. And, and I did really buy their bond, you know, Bruce Greenwood and Chris Pine. I bought that bond. Earl Grey. There's the line where Deanna says to O'Brien, I think it is. Um mm-hmm. is that the same as a, a super string?
0: Is that, he's like, oh, no, no, no. he's like, oh, no, 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 <laughs>
1: they're completely
0: different. Yeah. It's totally different. Uh-huh. Yeah. Obviously. The Orb.
1: One of the things I was just really struck by is just the way in which this episode is so relevant today. And part of that has been the unfortunate way in which our culture has changed for the worse um, to see this happen in, in much more regularity of people jumping on something and jumping on things, even though they may not have all of the information But believing something to be true, even without all the pieces of evidence to actually make it true.
0: And that's what else is happening on Trek.FM.
1: So check out all of these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe
0: button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad. Oh, wait, there's I again i oh yeah see it's everywhere iphone ipad or apple tv there's no i in that or the desktop itunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published and please leave us a star rating and written review and if you're not an apple user we've got you covered as well you can find our shows on google play stitcher soundcloud Windows Phone, Spreaker, TuneIn, YouTube, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link.
1: And if you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Just visit patreon.com/trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com/trekfm to get all of the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, and those are all available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us, and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways you can do
0: that. The best place to join the larger conversation is the Babel Conference. It's our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Literary Treks, and that will come right to us. And you can find the network on Twitter at Trek.fm and on Facebook at Facebook.com
1: slash Trek and special for literary treks. We have a group on Goodreads and there we have bookshelves with all of our previously covered books as well as a currently reading section. So, you know, what's coming up for future shows. Thanks Bruce for updating that when I don't remember to, by the way, <laughs> plus there are great conversations happening about all of the books and comics. Just search for literary treks on Goodreads and click join group. We'd like to thank Norman C. Lau, Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, Brandon Chamutala, Justin Ozer, and Jeffrey Harlan for their support of the Trek FM network and for being associate producers for literary treks as well. Now, Bruce, when you're not staring into the eye and coming out all a changed man for some reason, none of us really understand why. Where can we find you?
0: I can see the whole universe, the whole galaxy right now. And within that, I can see that I am in Twitter land where I'm known as Admiral underscore Rex. But I can also see myself in another universe called Live from the Edge. When a Discovery episode comes out, we do a live show the next day with Brandy Jacola or Jacula, whatever she wants to be called at that moment. And then we have another universe called the Star Wars universe where we have the Star Wars Report podcast playing online. But I haven't been on the last couple episodes. But don't worry. I'll make an appearance again someday in that universe. But for now, in this universe... I find myself in the Babel conference where I always am, where I can see Dan across from me. And I want to ask Dan, Dan, where can people find you when you're not suffering from a sunstroke when you meet the eye in the temple?
1: Well, man, I, I felt like I was going to be out there for a while, but I, I, I feel fine now. I don't know what came over me. Oh, that's so strange. Huh. I'm totally back to normal now. I'm glad you stuck around to find out what happened to me, though. That was really important. Well, that's uh, your definition of normal, but okay. <laughs> well, you can find me being my definition of normal on Twitter. I'm at Kertrats, that's K E R T R A T S. You can also find me on youtube.com slash Productions, where I make videos mostly about Star Trek. Who am I kidding? They're all about Star Trek. I don't like talking about anything else. And you can also find me on facebook.com slash Productions and, of course, in the Babel Conference. Well, thank you all so much for listening, and until next time... Live long. And read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.